Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. Welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week, we're going to have a look at the vexed issue of housing affordability and in particular, the role high levels of immigration into Australia have played in relation to that. For years now, there has been much discussion about poor housing affordability in Australia, but debate about how immigration contributes to this issue is often lacking. For a country with abundant land, it's ironic that housing affordability in Australia is so poor. Much of the focus over the years has been on grants and other means to make it easier for first-time buyers to get into the property market by getting a loan or alternatively on providing subsidies to renters. But of course, all of this just boosts demand, making affordability, whether it's for renters or home buyers, worse. In recent times, there seems to be more recognition of constraints on the supply side, and that I think is good news. But surging immigration levels could easily overwhelm these efforts and lead to an even worse situation. So let's look at Australia's surging population. March quarter data showed that Australia's population rose by 563,000 people, or 2.2%, over the 12 months to the March quarter, with 454,000 of that increase coming from a massive pickup in immigration. In fact, monthly data for permanent and long-term arrivals into Australia up until July suggests that the surge in immigration is continuing, and we are likely on track for net immigration of 500,000 or more people in the last financial year, in other words, for 2022-2023. This would take population growth to 2.5% in the financial year 22-2023, its fastest since the 1950s. It's worth noting that that 500,000 likely level of immigration that we're going to see in the last financial year when the June quarter figures eventually come out is a massive increase from what was projected just a few years ago. In fact, if you go back to the March 2022 budget, immigration for the last financial year was projected to be 213,000 people. By the October 2022 budget, that had been revised to 235,000 people. In the May budget of this year, that had been revised again to 400,000 people. And of course, right now, as I've indicated, it looks like we're on track for 500,000 or more immigrants over the last 12 months. Some of this surge is, of course, a catch-up after the pandemic-driven slump where our borders were closed. Of course, high levels of immigration do help boost GDP growth and could be a factor enabling Australia to avoid a technical recession where GDP goes backwards for a couple of quarters. And immigration also makes for a more dynamic and prosperous economy over the longer term. But what really counts, of course, for living standards is per capita GDP. In other words, the level of economic activity in the economy divided by the number of people. And right now, per capita GDP is actually going backwards. And of course, surging immigration is making the housing shortage much worse. At its core, housing affordability is determined by three things, home prices, income levels, and interest rates. And whichever way you cut it, housing affordability has deteriorated massively in recent decades. For example, the ratio of home prices to wages has increased if you go back to the 1980s from around four times to currently around 13 times. The ratio of home prices to household disposable income, which of course allows for the rise of two-income families, has seen a similar surge from around... I guess three times in the early 1980s, currently around six or seven times. 
According to the 2023 Demographia Housing Affordability Survey, the median multiple of house prices to income for major cities is 8.2 times in Australia. And that compares to levels of around five times in the UK and the US. In Sydney, it's a whopping 13.3 times. In other words, if you can devote all of your after-tax income to paying off your house, it would take 13.3 years in Sydney, whereas in the UK and the US, on average, it would take five years. The share of mortgage interest as a share of household income in Australia is set to rise to record levels once current interest rates fully flow through. In other words, once people have come off those fixed rates, and of course, um, the rise in variable rates is fully flown through to customers. Since the mid-1990s, the time taken for someone on average full-time earnings to save a 20% deposit has roughly doubled from about five years to 10 years. So as I mentioned, whichever way you cut it, housing affordability in Australia has deteriorated massively over the last few decades. Deteriorating housing affordability is certainly something to be concerned about as it is driving increasing inequality and could threaten social cohesion. So what's driven the deterioration in housing affordability? Endless reams of material have been produced on this over the years. It's been subject to much debate. At times, many zoom in on things like tax concessions for investors like negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount. Or at other times, there was a big focus on self-managed superannuation funds being able to invest into the property market. And of course, at various other points in time, foreign demand. But I think these issues are really a bit of a sideshow. For example, over the boom in property prices we saw coming out of the pandemic into early 2022, investor and foreign demand were not big drivers. Rather, I think the fundamental drivers of poor affordability and expensive housing in Australia have been a combination of three things. The first is a shift from high interest rates at the start of the 1990s to low interest rates, along with the increased availability of debt over the last few decades. That, of course, has all boosted borrowing ability and hence buyers' capacity to pay for homes. But this can't be the full story because lots of countries have had low interest rates without such expensive housing relative to their incomes. So if we look a little bit deeper, there has been a fundamental failure of housing supply for lots of reasons, ranging from slow land release to development controls to capacity constraints and so on, to keep up with a surge in demand for housing that started in the mid-2000s with very rapid population growth. And a third factor is our concentration or increasing concentration of people in just a few coastal cities. But the bottom line is that the role of immigration in that demand supply mismatch is critical. So let's have a look at that. If we start in the mid-2000s, annual population growth in Australia suddenly jumped by about 150,000 people per annum. And that was on the back of a surge in immigration level. In other words, up until the mid-2000s, annual population growth was motoring along at levels just above 200,000 people per annum. And of course, from about the mid-2000s, that jumped up to just over or well over 350,000 people per annum. So there was roughly about 150,000 jump in annual population growth. Now, this should have been matched by an increase in dwelling completions of around 60,000 dwellings extra per annum just to house all those extra immigrants and the rise in the population. But there was no such rise in completions until after 2015, which of course was the unit building boom, which led to a chronic undersupply of homes by the time we got to the middle of last decade. The unit building boom, of course, in the latter part of last decade and the slump in population growth through the pandemic helped relieve that imbalance. But the unit building boom, of course, was brief and a decline in household size from 2021 onwards 
resulted in demand for an extra 120,000 dwellings on the Reserve Bank's estimates. And of course, more recently, the rebound in population growth has taken the property market back into undersupplied territory again. It's also useful to think of this in terms of underlying demand and supply. And of course, the difference between the two is the cumulative undersupply. Up until around 2005, the housing market was in rough balance in Australia. It then went into a massive shortfall of about 250,000 dwellings by 2014 as underlying demand surged with booming immigration levels. This shortfall was then cut into by the unit building boom that we saw through the second half of last decade. And we nearly got back into balance in the time of the pandemic. Of course, a rebound in underlying demand on the back of this year's surge in immigration levels and weak completions has now pushed the shortfall back up on my estimates to around 120,000 dwellings. And by the middle of next year, it will be around 165,000 dwellings. This, of course, makes no allowance for the pandemic-induced fall in household size, which if it's maintained, could mean that that shortfall by the middle of next year could be around 285,000 dwellings. In other words, surpassing the shortfall that we saw in the mid-2010s. Meanwhile, the surge in immigration has pushed underlying demand for homes to an average 220,000 dwellings over the three years to 2025. But thanks to rate hikes and capacity constraints, dwelling completions look like averaging just something like 175,000, which means a new shortfall each year of about 45,000 dwellings adding to the already existing shortfall. In other words, we've already got a big shortfall of, on my estimates, by the middle of next year, that will have been somewhere between 165,000 dwellings to 285,000 dwellings. But each year, with these very high levels of immigration, we're seeing a new shortfall adding to that cumulative shortfall of about 45,000 dwellings. So in other words, the cumulative shortfall or undersupply of housing will grow over time. And of course, if you're wondering, is there really a shortfall in the Australian property market? We'll just go and look at rental property vacancy rates. And of course, there is a close linkage between the home buyer market and the rental market. We have now record low rental vacancy rates in Australia. And that, of course, is resulting in double digit growth in rents. So the shortfall in the home buyer market has translated into the the rental market resulting also in very strong rental growth. The good news is that Australian governments, federal and state, appear at last to be serious about focusing on supply as a key to improving housing affordability. The target recently announced to build 1.2 million new homes over five years from July 2024, or roughly 240,000 dwellings per annum, supported by 50,000 social and affordable homes over five years from the Housing Australia Future Fund and also the National Housing Accord with the states, along with various programs to incentivize states to build more homes, are to be welcomed. Over the five years to 2022, Australia built nearly 1 million new homes, or 200,000 dwellings per annum, mostly in the private sector. But we do need a stretch target to solve the housing affordability issue, given a shortfall of 165,000 285,000 dwellings by mid next year. However, this is not going to be easy. Firstly, despite a backlog of approvals yet to be completed, we are struggling to complete 180,000 dwellings each year with labour and material shortages and regular failures amongst home builders. We may be able to get this level of completions each year back up to 200,000 on an annual basis with a greater mix of units or lower cost housing. But it's hard to see where the capacity is going to come from to get dwelling completions up to 240,000 dwellings a year as the federal government and state governments are targeting. Secondly, 
Similarly, albeit less ambitious supply-side commitments in the past have failed. So we've sort of seen this supply focus in the past, maybe not as ambitious, but they haven't uh, achieved their stated aims. And finally, as noted earlier, the surge in immigration is adding to the already large supply shortfall each year and threatening to swamp the extra supply commitments governments are making. So the bottom line is that immigration levels need to be lower. There are lots of things that need to be done to improve housing affordability in Australia, making it easier to build more homes, but in a way that does not lead to ever worsening urban congestion and compromise the very things that make Australia great. Yes, I will admit, like many Australians, to being a bit of a NIMBY on that front, encouraging greater decentralisation to regional Australia to take pressure off cities and tax reform in terms of replacing stamp duty with land tax and maybe reducing the capital gains tax discount, which I regard as excessive. But it's impossible to escape the conclusion that immigration levels need to be calibrated to the ability of the home building industry to supply housing in Australia. This is critical. Current immigration levels are running well in excess of the ability of the housing industry to supply enough homes, exacerbating an acute housing shortage and poor housing affordability. Our rough estimate is that if home building supply capacity is 200,000 dwellings a year, as we managed in the five years to 2022, then immigration levels really need to be cut back to something like 260,000 people from currently around 500,000 right now. But if home building capacity is just 180,000 dwellings a year, or we want to reduce the accumulated supply shortfall by, say, 20,000 dwellings a year, then we probably have to cut immigration levels back further, maybe to nearer 200,000 people a year. So I hope this has been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.